Mine's good. Yeah, it was uh, productive. I've been productive this week. But you took good. a trip out to Tennessee, though. I did, but that was last week. I know, man. That was a like, retreat. It was a retreat. You know, on that retreat, I dropped my phone in the hot tub. On purpose? No. The whiskey told me to do it. Mm. Mm. That Tennessee whiskey. Yeah, no, I I dropped my phone in the hot tub. Didn't realize I dropped it in the hot tub. Uh, went to bed. And like five hours later, someone felt it with their toe. <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I told him, I was like, it'll be fine. It was an iPhone X, which I, to me is like, I thought was awesome, you know? And I was like, I thought it can get wet. And Mark's like, you can get wet. It can't, it can't stay underwater can't for five submerged. hours. Yeah. And it wasn't just submerged. It was like cooking. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. That's that, not an exaggeration. It really was like five hours later we found it. Yeah. Have you ever had something happen to like your phone like that? Like where you? Yeah, I jumped in. I jumped in the pool and I forgot my phone was in my pocket, and I forgot, and I and yeah, and I was just like chilling in the pool for like an hour or two, and it was learning crazy. how to swim. Still, oh. I'm still learning how to swim. It wasn't this past year. Okay. It oh. was. Bro, how many people yeah. taught you how to swim? Bro, I, I'm a I'm a lost cause, man. No, yeah. that's not true. We've made great strides. We have, we have, but like, <clears throat> it, yeah, I don't know. I just can't give it over to fear of drowning. It's tough. Yeah. I can't tread. Big boys can't tread. It's hard. It is hard. Yeah. But, um, I'm going to share a story about a phone that I demolished. I put it on, like, the roof of my car before I, like, got in. I forgot it was up there. Drove mm-hmm. off. And then, like, couldn't find my phone for... <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I, thought it was gonna, I thought it was going to go a different direction. No, no, no. I drove off, and then, like, I couldn't find it. <clears throat> and so I was, like, trying to do find my iPhone. I started pinging it. I was, like, in my fr- the front yard of my house. And yeah. I, like, heard it. Like, I heard it. I couldn't, like, I, like, couldn't find it. I kept pinging it, pinging it, and I, like, was walking down my street, and it was, like, in the middle of the road, and it had gotten run over at least once. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> Dang, bro. That's yeah. sad. That's when I lived across the street. I probably ran it over. You probably did. <clears throat> well, we got a good show today, boys. It's the last uh, one. It's the, it's the last one ever? Hopefully for this, not. For season Hopefully two. not. Hopefully not. We for might. Two, that we might get canceled if we don't get our uh, listener count up to thir- at least thirty-eight people by the end of the season. I think we're getting canceled. No, we have at least <laughs> just thirty-eight kidding. downloads I'm a week. Kidding. I think I'm we're kidding. averaging somewhere around seventy. Yeah, that's that's what I want to hear. Anyway, um, yeah, we we saved the best for last. Uh, a good friend, kind of a a rock star in all of our lives, a rap star. I'll let him tell you about that more. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, good good buddy of ours, Father Josh Johnson, is here, and uh, yeah, let's hear it, the crowd. They love him. So Father Josh can't hear it, but we have these uh, 
We have these effects in here that like it's like a crowd cheering. What do you mean? No, no, no. It's, that's it's, our it's live, a live audience. That's what, that's that's what audience. I mean. Like he, that's what I mean. He affected the live audience, and then they all oh, okay. cheered. All right. mm-hmm. but you just can't hear. It. You don't have headphones on. Just by his name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Father Josh is joining us from uh, down under. Louis- <laughs> Australia? <laughs> <laughs> you know they say Louisiana? No. Throw another craw- crawfish on the barbie. He's in Baton Rouge. Oh, okay. Down in the BR. <laughs> anyway, yeah, he's joining us. Father Josh, thanks for joining us, man. What's happening? How are y'all? Good, man. What's the temperature down there in Baton Rouge? I, I, I don't know, to be honest with you, because one day it's hot and one day it's cold. And I've been inside a lot today, so I'm not even sure right now. I'm wearing a coat, so it must be somewhat cool. Father, just give us a ballpark number, bro. <laughs> Hold up. I got a cell phone. Let me ask my cell phone. Uh, 67 degrees. 67? Got a coat on with 67 degrees? 67. Yesterday was nine here. <clears throat> oh, that's crazy. Yeah. Well, is that sun coming through the window on your face, or is that? Is it that... No, that's just His Holiness. Yeah. yeah, that's the sun, bro. Yeah, dude, there's no sun here. Even when it's, like, above 30, it's still gray. It's just, yeah, it's gray, it's sad, cloudy. It sounds miserable. Pressing. Yeah. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah, man, well, thanks thanks for being on with us. We were, we were talking about you a little bit before um, we started, and uh, all of us were saying, man, it'd be kind of fun to hear, um, like, if, if you don't mind, man, like, just share with us a little bit about, like, did you always, uh, do you always want to do this? I mean, not maybe not even just the pre-swing, but you always, like, oh, I, th- I thought you meant the podcast. <laughs> did, did you always want to do the podcast? I mean, or... I've, been, I've been waiting for him to <laughs> <laughs> No, man, like, even if you didn't see yourself, per se, as a priest, and maybe you did, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but, like, did you always think you would be doing something that would be, like, pastoral you know like helping people like loving on people no no my, my plan was to be the host of one of us in park on bt you was gonna replace oh, okay. aj oh. <laughs> i auditioned and terrence j and roxy got it i didn't get it but i did audition you did really yeah i did mm-hmm. yeah when i was at southern university i went to the audition and didn't make it and so uh after that I became a priest what in the audition what did you have to do they just read a script type thing like act like you're an MC or whatever and uh yo 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 what's up it's JJ Boogie Boogie down Bronx and we over here uh, in Houston Texas with Benz and Lexus and uh yeah something like that and so it was yeah it was fun but I didn't make it in uh yeah so I had no desire to be a priest growing up I didn't want to be Catholic my mom is Catholic my dad is a uh, African-American Methodist Episcopalian and uh so they raised us in the Catholic church but my brothers and I we we didn't understand the church's teachings. We thought mass was boring. We didn't particularly feel welcome in the community. We're a biracial family. My dad's black, mom's white. We're mixed. In the 1980s, that wasn't very common in Louisiana. And uh, so we didn't really particularly feel welcomed by the people of the parish that we belong to. So for me, I thought because some of the people are very impersonal, that meant that God was also an impersonal God. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have a personal relationship with the Lord and uh, after my brothers got confirmed, they left the church. And so my my plan was to also uh, leave the church after confirmation. My brother at this point, he was uh, he was a gangster rapper. He was rapping with Lil Boosie and Webby. I grew up with Kevin Gates, so Kevin Gates is very big right now. We live down the street from each other. Um, so that was kind of circle the environment I grew up in. Uh, so my brother was the rapper. He had a record deal and everything. 
my plan was to be the MC. And so I wanted to be a radio host. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be on BET and host a, a music video TV show. And uh, then one of my friends, uh, Brandy, uh, she, and it's important for the conversation, she was white. In, our, in my, my confirmation group, there was four black kids and 16 white kids. And Brandy went to Steubenville South Conference in 2003, had a profound encounter with Jesus before the Blessed Sacrament, came back a new person on fire for the Lord. And she would go to conference after conference, workshop after workshop, retreat after retreat, and youth group meeting after youth group meeting. And she never saw a person of color, uh, and the priests, and the religious, and the speakers, and the kids. And she had four people of color in her class. And so she was very intentional with just every week inviting us, hey, will y'all please come youth group? Will y'all please come to a conference? Will you please come to a retreat? And every week we would all say no. And so it was the night of my confirmation in 2004, uh, she invited me to Steubenville South. And for some reason, when she invited me this time, I said, I would love to go. And I didn't want to go, but I, I said it. And so uh, I, I tried to get out of it and I tried to cute? back out of the retreat. Yeah. Was she cute? No, Brandy's cute. Brandy's a pretty girl. Yeah, Brandy's beautiful. She's I mean, you weren't you weren't like crushing on her though. Like that wasn't why you. Nah, said... nah, we were. Nah, we were friends. I, I had a, I had a girlfriend at the time. Okay. Um, Two or three, yeah, or so... just a one. <laughs> so yeah, I'm actually on her brother's wedding uh, this month. But um, yeah. So we go, and on Saturday night, June 26, 2004, Bishop Sam Jacobs exposed the Blessed Sacrament. Paul George was there. He was speaking at it, but. Bishop Sam Jacobs processed through the crowd about 5,000 teenagers with Jesus and the Eucharist. I didn't believe in the Eucharist at that point in my life. We came face to face with each other. And I just perceived that he was really present. Like he was the one I was looking for my whole life. And I was searching for him in, in the girls I was dating, um, in the sports I was playing, in the, the things I was doing that a lot of people we, we accompany, that they, they do that none of it satisfied me. And, uh, and, and I recognized that he would be the one. And I just, I perceived in that time of prayer of adoration, the Lord told me he loved me. And I was in mortal sin, right? So to hear God say, I love you, or perceive him say, I love you, it rocked my world because I wasn't living a life that was conducive that I thought to receiving his love. And so I was hooked. I wanted to be in the presence of the Eucharist every day after that. And so uh, I also began thinking about the priesthood, didn't want to be a priest, but couldn't stop thinking about it, uh, resisted that invitation, graduated high school, went to Southern University, but every day I started going to adoration as a blessed sacrament, and, and through that time of going to adoration, I just fell more in love with the Lord, and, um, and even though I didn't want to be a priest, I couldn't stop thinking about it, and so I decided to go to seminary just to find out. Eight years later, got ordained, and I've been a priest for the past eight years now. So what was it what was it like shedding off those or did you have to shut off those relationships that you had made? Like from growing up and you know, you lived down growing up down the street from all these other rappers and like Yeah. That. No, so I'm I'm still cool with a lot of people that I was friends with before seminary. So uh for me there was a period of detachment just because um some of my my peers they were still having sex all the time. They were still selling drugs all that all the time, like hard stuff. And and it was an occasion of sin for me. So what I began to do when I got to seminary is I'll come back home. I would go out to eat with some of my boys or whatever. And then I would always have a plan to, to visit with Jesus in Adoration Chapel after I'd have dinner. Because I knew after dinner, they were going to go out and they were going to run the streets. They were going to sleep around. 
they were going to use drugs. And, I, and I, at this point, I was going in a different direction. So, uh, and eventually, they, many of them um, began to even have pro deeper conversions as, as well. Mm -hmm. um, when they saw my happiness, like, because at this point, I'm, I'm not doing what they're doing. I'm living a totally different lifestyle than they're living. And I'm happy. I'm really happy. And they saw that. And, and one of my boys, uh, I was a deacon, and we were having lunch one day when I came back home. And he said, I want to become Catholic. Damn. And I said, well, why? Like, what happened? Because uh, he, he had, I took him to Steubenville, and he, he experienced, you know, the, the, you know, it was crazy. You've been there, uh, Bob. Saturday night's the crazy night where everybody has their, their exorcism. They're like, ah! You know, he, <laughs> he's been to adoration in Steubenville, so he, he's seen the crazy stuff. And, uh, and I said, well, you had all those crazy experiences. Like, why now? And he said, because I see how happy you are. I see your joy and you're living a life of the sacraments and, and you're living a life of virtue. And, and I, I'm not, and I'm miserable. And I'm, because at this point he was doing his thing and, um, and he just, it, sin doesn't satisfy. So it's been very beautiful. And I mean, I, I still, uh, even my friends who never converted to the Catholic church or, or have had profound conversions, I'm still like, that, that's family, right? They were, they were my friends before seminary. The people I was cool in seminary, I don't talk to anymore. And so I, mean, I have like probably four four guys from seminary I still keep in touch with. The other hundred some guys, I don't. So like my people are here in my land of Baton Rouge. And so um, they got my back. And, and I, I, so there's still love there and, and they respect what I do. And and so it's, it's just a very beautiful relationship. I haven't talked to Kevin Gates in many years, but like, yeah, I mean, that's um, that's all family. You know, we all grew up together. So it's all love. You ever see it? <clears throat> Kind of how, uh, I mean, I, I've, I've thought of this in, in certain aspects of my life, but, you know, that uh, scripture, you know, where it says, like, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing, <clears throat> you know, just in the sense of, um, you know, God satisfying our desires, like, you had this desire, there's obviously something, like, that drew you about, like, leading people being in front of people all this kind of stuff like and like you're good being in front of people like you you know um but you know god now is like use that for for his glory you know like because you're you're able to speak well and you're able to you know sing and do all these different things like and he's like kind of using that for have you ever have you ever like seen it like that like god like kind of i'll make you a fisherman kind of like you're yeah, natural, yeah i mean natural the, when i when i began to follow the Lord, I thought I was going to have to give up everything, right? Even my gifts, my talents, my personality. But over the years, I've been able to embrace everything. You know, even like with, uh, I'm not the host of BTs once it's a part, but now I have a podcast that I do every week or whatever. And that's reaching, um, that's reaching a number of people, right? Um, and, and More than ours, let's just say that. He was trying to give us a <laughs> humble brag. I didn't want to take a shot. I heard you had like 38 people. I didn't want to take shots. Uh, <laughs> We get about 15,000 a week, you know, uh, okay. but follow Mike, he gets about 500,000, but it's cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, but the Lord uses all that. He used our experience. He uses everything. And so if we just give him everything and don't hold on to it. It's just beautiful what he does with it. I, as a kid, I, I used to love to go to the park. We played basketball all the time. And then there was like trees at the park. And I used to like legit spend at least two hours just sitting in a tree by myself. I prefer to be by myself. And, um, and so when I had my conversion experience with the blessed sacrament at Steubenville, I began to go to an adoration chapel for a couple hours. So even like that, that introvert quality that I have 
the Lord used that to draw me to the Eucharist. And then from being drawn to the Eucharist, he, he filled me up to want to imitate him and to go out, right. And to, to make disciples and uh, from that relationship. And so he uses everything, bro. Like everything that we have, he will use for his glory to build up his kingdom, his will, his way, his time. So, Father, how did you, um, like, link up with Vagabond? How did you, like, hear about us? You're on the, you know, the board now. How did yeah. that come to be? Yeah, so I love Vagabond. So I first, uh, Bob, you rapped at Steubenville on the Bayou way back in the day when you was Righteous B. You remember that? Yeah, I, I went that. That was at the Bayou in South a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you and Kelly Peace and all that. So I was, I mean, I was a teenager whenever you were coming down there. So uh it was it was just it was a gift to, to, to see that kind of representation as far as that kind of music um i, me I remember uh i don't know if it was that specific time sorry to interrupt you uh, but i I, re I remember like getting in trouble like i don't know if it was the conference where i did the stanky leg like at the, at the we did there was like one we were like doing it like a, like the opening thing and uh i i just remember like like some youth group leader was all mad and they were doing, she said like, how is this, you know, how are my uh, parents going to deal with like, you know, that there's like rap at this thing. And, and I, I remember feeling like so bad about it. like, I was like, oh man, like I should have never come down here. Like, you know, maybe, I was thinking, I mean, like I knew down South they listen to hip hop, but I, I mean, I have memories from like the Bayou and South where they, uh, like they were up, uh, there were some people upset that there was like hip hop, so that's funny that ended up being something that was a good memory for you. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was a good memory. Um, so vagabond, yeah. So uh, I got, I met Andy at the World Media Families. I think I met. Were you there too, Bob? At the World Media Families. I wasn't there at that. No. Okay, so I, me and Andy, we met, and I don't, I don't know if it was a random meet. I think it was like we had a mutual friend that we were both. Yeah, we had a mutual friend, Chris Cope, maybe mm -hmm. that we were both hanging out with. And so from meeting Andy in 2015, when Pope Francis came here, uh, we just connected. And so he invited me to come and, and, uh, and speak at y'all at the camp in August. And, and I was, I mean, I was just blown away, uh, the way y'all run the camp. Uh, I loved it. it. It was just, it was really good. It was very real. And it was, it was enough balance. I thought, uh, of, of fun and, and prayer and all that jazz. Uh, and so that's kind of how, I connected with y'all and then from there Andy invited me to be a part of the team on the board and it's just been it's been a gift because I I, I feel that like when I read scripture I see a lot of what Jesus did in the word of God is what vagabonds at least trying to do today Jesus uh yeah I, th I think it's important for us as disciples to like look at the word of God and how did Jesus pray? When did he pray? Where did he pray? What did he talk about? How did he listen? How did he minister? Who did he hang out with? Who did he spend time with? Who, who was the, 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 the beneficiaries of his miracles, right? Um, and we, we see it in scripture, and it's always those who are uh, oppressed, are marginalized, are disenfranchised, uh, who, are, who are poor, who are neglected uh, in, in society. And then we look at a lot of ministries that have happened in the church today, and a lot of our ministries today, they accommodate uh, uh groups of people and then they alienated other groups of people. And I'm like, man, like your ministry's not looking like Jesus at all. Like I, I don't see what Christ did in the gospel in your ministry. Uh, not that we don't, Jesus loved everybody. When he, when he healed the woman who was hemorrhaging, he helped Jairus' daughter out too. So he loves the poor and the rich and we should too. It's always the both end. But I find that a lot of our ministries today accommodate 
people who are just like doing really well in life, you know, financially and, and uh, emotionally and, and, and all that. And, and then we, we neglect people, people right there in the neighborhoods, right down the street from my churches. You know, I, there's a number of churches across this nation when I go and speak and I see these big, beautiful churches and they aren't proximate to the people who live in the neighborhood that surround them. And they say, oh, our church is dying. I'm like, but is it? Because I see a bunch of people outside. So it looks like it's alive. I see a lot of young people, but you've never reached out to these young people. You've never invited them to walk with you. You've never asked them, how can we accompany you? And so, and that's your precious because, you know, canonically, canon law says that a pastor is responsible for every soul in a geographical boundaries, not the people who are baptized Catholics, not the people who are registered parishioners, whoever lives in his area. And quite oftentimes, a lot of our ministries in the church, a lot of our apostles in the church, our organizations, they ignore people who live right across the street from the church building. And, and those are the people that Jesus expects for us to be close to. Um, and if we're not close to them, then I propose we're not close to him. And so I'm very edified by Vagabond because Vagabond's making an attempt to be proximate to all God's people, all, you know, to everybody who's made it in the image of God. And that's just very beautiful. I, uh, I remember at that first <clears throat> camp uh experience when you spoke and I, I remember how it was really significant for a couple of the guys I was walking with um like specifically just that I have a couple um godsons who are black and um I, I know for them it was something that they they had said you know a number of times that like it was it was it was difficult like when they they um they were in RCIA it became Catholic like because some of their um like moms or whatever says something like, well, it's just kind of like a white church. And, um, and then they said like, and it's hard because like, we don't see a lot of like a lot of the, you know, speakers at a conference that we go to or, you know, priests, unless it's, you know, like a random African priest, like there, we, we don't see people that look like us and, um, man, walking with them, uh, in that like really was, uh, I, I don't know, like my, my heart broke a lot just realizing that a lot of times even these conferences and stuff, uh, and I, I should say even myself, like, you know, like there was a time like where I didn't realize how significant, um, you know, those, those, those things are. Um, like I had a girl once say to me, um, you know, like how does God see race? You know, because um, she said like he he definitely notices our, our like our race, you know, like the fact that like we have these these times like where the Blessed Mother appears looking like the people she's, you know. So it's not something that God doesn't notice. It's it, and um, so, you know. So ask me about a little bit about that. Um, but I, I remember, you know, it just was you connected them with in a significant way, um, and uh, and then and then we kind of had some conversation uh, at that just about some books you were writing, some thoughts you had um, just regarding um, the, the church and race. And, uh, and I, I think that's something that like you, you've brought uh, a lot of wisdom uh, to with, with Vagabond and stuff. But I, I wanted to ask you um, to the extent that like, you know, you want to share um, like these last, I know for our, uh, like the kids we serve, um, you know, for, for our country, like the, the last couple of years have, have been really hard, you know, it's been a lot of heartbreaking. Uh, 
situation, there's been a lot of anger. There's, you know, uh, been a lot of death, you know, just, just, just stuff, um, regarding race. And, uh, <clears throat> and sometimes like, I, 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 I don't see it like echoing in the, in the church. Like I had a good conversation with, um, the, the pastor where we go to church and I was saying to him, like, you know, like the silence of us not talking about this at church is really affecting our kids. Like we got two pews full of black kids who come here. Um, and like just the fact that during the intercessions, you're not praying for an end to racism. Like that, that says a lot, you know, and it was really cool. I mean, like he, it was really humble of him. Like he thanked me. And then Every Sunday since they they pray for end to racism during the petitions. But the the point the point of this question is just like how I mean because you you as you know as a priest I'm sure you know have a even more uh, of, of a wider view of the church. Like how have you seen uh, you know like this the the pain of like our country and our culture like either echoing or or or, or not echoing in the in the church like in the last couple of years yeah man i think a scripture that comes to mind is is uh is jesus in the garden of gethsemane because when he was in the garden of gethsemane he invited his his friends that he had been walking with for three years to be with him and as he's praying to the father as he is sweating blood he was so so stressed out that blood drops were falling to the ground um the apostles were clueless they were clueless to his pain and they were that close to each other in proximity and they were just totally oblivious that, that he needed them to like, to be with him and to suffer with him and to listen to him and to pray with him. And they just, they, they couldn't be bothered. Right? They, 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 had, they wanted their own comfort. They wanted to rest. They didn't feel like praying. It was too, it was too much for them. It was too exhausting for them. Um, and I, I really feel like that's a, a an image for like what I perceive happened um, has been happening for a very long time. A, a lot of us um, in, in our church have been experiencing stuff and our and people who we thought were our close friends uh, when we invited them to come to be with us in this, in, in, in this experience of, of real sins of racism. Um, and they, many of our brothers and sisters who we thought were, uh, were there for us, couldn't have time of day, you know, and, and like you said with that, with, with, when it comes to even church, it's, it's not so much what people say sometimes that speaks volumes. It's what, what people don't say. Mm -hmm. A man gets, a man gets murdered on television and it's not even brought up like in a homily or in an intercessory prayer. Um, like we don't even care. We black history month is here and we don't even acknowledge any, any of the black saints at all or, are any of the real struggles that have happened not only in our in our in our nation but in our church? We don't acknowledge the reality that there was zero. There were no seminaries that accepted black men. Like you want to know why there's so few black vocations to the priesthood is because for years, for years, not not in the 1700s or 1800s, but in the 1900s, like black men were not accepted into many of our seminaries. Black women were not accepted into religious orders. Um, that existed. It's like we might have had a call from God that we perceived through our time of Eucharistic adoration, but when we present that call to the vocation director, they said no. And so they had to, to go join a religious order because mm -hmm. they were they wouldn't accept us. And so um it, it, it's it 
it is real, man. It, it is, um, it was, for me, it was a very painful experience to, to realize, you know, when I speak about abortion, everybody's like, oh, praise God, Father Josh, you're great. Like we, you know, I'm doing a March Flight conference this weekend. People love it when I talk against abortion. Uh, when I speak about the interior life, oh, Father Josh, oh, I, just, I love it when he aspires to be a saint. But the moment I bring up racism, the same people who are like, oh, man, we want you to talk about abortion and prayer and Jesus. The second I bring up examples of racism, they shut up, Father Josh. You're a communist. You're a Marxist. And, and the, uh, the emails I get and the, the, the letters, I mean, people take time to write me like eight-page letters <sighs> trying to school me. And they always like use their credentials. I have a theology degree. I'm like, I, so do I, right? Like, I, I got the same thing you got. Like, I, I was summa cum whatever. So like, like what you, what you want to do, right? So it's this, um, there's something I've experienced. I believe like it's like a demonic oppression over our nation to where when we try to have these conversations, uh, people automatically begin to say that they feel accused and they feel discouraged and they feel uh, like, like they're being attacked. I'm like, nah, like I've never accused anybody. I don't, I'm not here to discourage you or condemn you. But if I'm shedding light on a reality and encouraging and inviting you to, to the demands of discipleship, um, then I, I'm going to do that, right? And, and I, and, but for some reason, when it comes to this topic, I find a lot of my peers, even fellow Catholic speakers on the circuit, you know, like I, I've experienced some resistance from them as well. When it comes, and, and I thought we were all on the same team. I was like, I thought we all gave the purity talks. I thought we all you know, spoke about that. I thought, I thought we would all speak against racism. And then mm-hmm. uh, I, my, I've come to discover that's just not the case. Um, and so we're all on a journey. So I'm not, I'm not condemning anybody. I believe we're all on a journey, but it's just, it's, there, there's, there seems to be a lack of humility, I find, with, with, with some of our, of our brothers and sisters from really taking time to ask the Holy Spirit to give us his mind, the mind of Christ. Like, Christ, how do you want me to view the sins of racism? And how do you want me to... to, to to accompany people in our land um, who who are not sitting at the table because of racism and who are not proximate to the sacraments that you gave us because of racism. Like, like so there, this is something that we have to address as a church. Otherwise, people won't people won't be able to become the saints that God desires for them to be, and, and neither will we um, as well. And so it's a both end here. Um, that was a lot. I just I gave y'all. No, it was <clears throat> it was great. Yeah, it is interesting how people. I guess sometimes I guess just don't realize that racism is a sin or don't want to realize that racism is a sin because when you, yeah, when you talk to people about, and this is always a tough topic, you know, like sex before marriage, like it's almost as if like nowadays I would say Catholics. And if you're like in going through like a marriage retreat or like an engagement couples retreat or like whatever here in purity talks, it's, it was, for a while, I, I guess, kind of, like, tough for people to, like, tiptoe around that topic of, like, oh, you shouldn't be engaging in premarital sex. But, like, now it's, I would say it's, like, it's everywhere. Like, people are always saying, you know, strive for purity, chastity, such and such. And there's a, there's a lot of, yeah, I guess just, like, build up in comfortability with that now so people can talk about that with ease. And, like, yes, yeah, not as much as a hot-button topic anymore. But now racism is almost, like, in that same boat of, this is an issue, and people are, like, tiptoeing talking about it uh, and not being as comfortable. And I think just the same with any other sin, you know, when you're, like, living in such sin, it's like there's 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 healing that needs to take place. There's, like, wounds that are created, 
and and when people don't, I mean, and if you've received it, or if even if you like seen somebody like receive it, like if you've just watched racism unfold, like that can be traumatizing even for the person that watched it happen. And so it's it's yeah, I don't know. It, it's such an interesting thing about how people can like. I, I guess it's kind of like wash it over, like ah, you know, that's something I like. Hopefully, Father Josh can just keep talking about it, or whoever well, else. The is, San Antonio, the fruit has been this: is that like when I do preach about it, even whenever people are uncomfortable, I cannot tell you the amount of people who have been scheduled appointments with me. Also, in addition to all the hate I get, to repent, mm. like so many people have repented and like I've participated in this, and and. I've never confessed it and I've never like tried to make it right what I've done and I've never sought to make a, a real reform of my life, but I get it now and I listen to you. And so how many of our brothers and sisters have these sins on their soul and they're receiving Holy Communion with these grave sins on their soul because their pastors and our Catholic speakers won't talk about it on the stage at a conference or from the pulpit at mass. If we don't talk about sin, our people are going to die in sin. And we should want people to, to live in freedom and to be encouraged that like, like reformation, we, and look, here's the thing. We all need to be reformed. There there's, I'm, I go to confession once a week. I know I'm a sinner. Like I, I know I got my stuff, but like, I love it when people fraternally like really correct me. And whenever they help me to see areas of growth in my heart and my life and, and so, uh, yeah, we got to fight against that vice of pride where it's like, I don't want to be, I don't want to be confronted and I don't want to be accountable um, for, for, for this. And so, yeah, man, we got, we got work to do. So there, as much hate as I get too, from some people, I've seen a lot of beautiful, profound conversions happen as well. And so, uh, and then I have other priests who tell me, I don't, I just don't think it's a big deal. My parish, I'm like, well, have you ever talked about it? Like, have you ever even mentioned it? If you don't talk about it, people aren't going to know, you know, we, we got to be good shepherds. We're going we're going to be held responsible on the day of our judgment for what we, for our sins of, of, uh, of omission and commission, you know? And so what I said and what I didn't say is very important. Yeah. Even, even just recently, I was talking to one of our missionaries out here and just how like this missionary was completely like discriminated against. And this is outside of, outside of like the church, he, the car got, he did, yeah, he was riding in a car full of some other missionaries actually. And, uh, he was the only black person in the car and cop pulled him over. And uh, it was some Texas license plates. So it was some out of state driver. And so the cop pulled him over and was like, did you know you had Texas license plates? And the guy was like, yeah, I'm from, I'm from Texas. And uh, he was like, well, you need to get that changed. And he was like, yep, I'll be sure to get on it. And then he looks at one of our black missionaries right in the odds and says, uh, y'all been smoking weed today. And completely, like, why would, do you smell any weed on this? Like, why would you ask me that question? And, uh, and, and our missionary was like, no, no, we haven't. And everybody else in the car was like, we haven't, no. And the, and the cop said, well, I smell it. I'm smelling it right here. Right across the street was a weed dispensary. And the guy driving the car was like, sir, there's a weed dispensary right there. Did you, did you see that? He's like, oh, no, I guess, uh, guess I missed that. And just let them go, and so it, it these things do still happen, like racism. Yeah, you ask a, a person of color, and well, like they happen to us all the even our bishops, Bishop Edward Braxton, he wrote about this in, in a pastor letter about 
as a bishop, the, like the amount of times that he has been, um, that he's been pulled over for driving in a predominantly white neighborhood mm-hmm. um, where he's been questioned. Uh, Cardinal Gregory also, uh, he talks about this in, in an interview as well. So uh, it's, this isn't just something that happens to, to some people, like even, even our own uh, clerics in, in the hierarchy of our church have experiences too. And, and if we don't listen, if we don't take time to like listen to other people's stories, then we won't know. You know, we really won't. I had a, one of my parishes when I began to share some of my stories of what I've been through, how I still get followed uh, whenever I go to the grocery store. And I had parishioners who, because they are in a relationship with me and they know me, and they, they, they cry and say, Father Josh, we had no idea that that happens. We, we didn't know that stuff. I said, yeah, it happens all the time, all the time. Uh, and, but, they, but they also listen. And because they take time to listen, they believe me. Um, and so I think if we could all take on that, that, that posture of humility and begin to listen to the stories of other people, our lives can be transformed and we can collaborate with them and work with them to transform things that, that are not just, um, that, are not, that are not of God. Amen. Father Josh, I got, I got a question. What's up? Uh, I mean, you got, I think you're a pretty incredible man. Uh, do you, like growing up for you before, like as you were making all those earlier transitions from 106 and Park Hose to seminary and priesthood and such, and even like now, the man you are now, like did you have a mentor at that time when you were growing up trying to be a 106 and Park host? And, and is that the same mentor now? Or have you ever had a mentor? Or like, what, who is this person? I mean, I think I've had a number of people who have who've discipled me uh, throughout my life. I've had a number of mentors. I had, uh, after my conversion, I had a really good youth minister who was at the parish, um, which I, I think this is like a shout out to all youth ministers, right? Your impact is powerful. I know John Paul II, he was discipled by a man by the name of Jan Ternowski, who wasn't a priest, who wasn't a religious. He was uh, a young layperson who... Uh, just knew the spiritual life and he discipled John Paul and helped him to, to pray. And, and I, I think like 11 guys from his youth group went on to, to the seminary to become priests and three became bishops and one became Pope. And John Paul said, he, he credits his vocation to his youth minister to Jan Tarnowski. And so like in my youth group, after my conversion, Nicole, uh, four of the guys from that youth group uh, are now priests in my diocese, four of us, which is unheard of. And like, we're back to back, like back to back ordained. Um, and so I think she was a, a good mentor. I had a good associate pastor at the time. I'm, I'm a parish father. Frank was always available to me. Uh, when I entered seminary, there are some seminarians who I looked up to, uh, who were, who were good to me. Father Tony Ricard, he's a priest in New Orleans. He began to mentor me as a seminarian. Uh, and that was, that was helpful too, right. To have, to have him as, as a witness. Um, so yes, yeah, so I've, I've had a number of, of people, uh, who I've looked up to and who've walked with me and who've held me accountable. I've had a number of phenomenal spiritual directors. Uh, so yeah, I, I've been very fortunate to have a good community around me to still to, to walk with me and to guide me. Father Josh, one thing <clears throat> that um, I think has been really cool for us, a lot of us, you know, work with recruitment and hiring and that kind of thing. Um, and one of the things I think that's been uh, j- just a real exciting, um, you know, kind of a, a flip side of s- some of the, the ills and the evils is 
like young people today, I feel like, you know, as much as millennials, post-millennials, whatever generation it's called, you know, now, like, as much as they kind of get crapped on sometimes for, you know, being weird or annoying or, or whatever, whatever the, the, you know, the new thing is, one thing I've, I feel like I've seen, you know, is that um, they're a generation that put their money where their mouth is, you know, in the sense that, um, like, they, they want to see change and they want to be agents of change and, and they want to make an impact in the world. Like, they want their time on earth to be valuable. And I've, I've just, through conversation that I've had and stuff, like, I, I feel like sometimes I'll ask them, like, what do you want to do with your life? And I, I'm always amazed that, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying money or other earthly things aren't there, but it's more important, I feel like, to a lot of young people today to um, make their lives count. Like, their currency is, I, I want to do something valuable with my life. Um, and uh, so I, I just wanted to ask you, you know, just kind of as we, as we come to a close, um, I know you've, you've, uh, you've done a few videos for us, and, and it's been uh, kind of a real blessing just hearing you talk. To, you know, someone who might be uh, applying for Vagabond, you know, what it is that we do, why what we do is important. Um, but, you know, for someone, you know, right now, you know, we're just kind of on a brink of going to a bunch of schools this spring. The, the SEEK conference is coming up. Um, you know, for someone who may be, you know, wrapping up their time in college or, or maybe just in, in that age group who are kind of thinking like, man, I, I want my life to count for something. And, and this maybe is kind of an outside of the box choice to be an inner city missionary um why would you tell them um to maybe throw that in the you know in the pot of discernment for uh you know what they they might want to do with their life if they want to follow christ uh, radically yeah that's a great question I, I think that if if someone were to to get plugged in with vagabond missions uh, they wouldn't lose anything right you would gain good formation you would gain new friends you'd gain new perspective you would gain a new intimacy with Christ in a new way. And, and who doesn't want to grow in our relationship with Christ? There's always so much more. And, and Christ does identify himself um, with, with the poor, you know, with those who are in the inner city. And so uh, I just, I think that uh, choosing to give a year or two of your life to be a missionary uh, would only make you a better, a better Christian, a better disciple, a better Catholic. And so uh, I'm always encouraging people to just to give Jesus a couple of years of their life and they could be a better if they want to get married and work in the business world they'll be a better husband and father better wife and mother if they end up going off to religious life or priesthood they'll be a better brother sister or father or mother in the spiritual life as well so uh there's nothing bad that that comes from from giving god um some of the best years of our life awesome thank you thank you so much father josh thank you for for your time thanks for uh putting up with us idiots for you know an hour and talking with us thank you for all your yeah for your insight um real quick before we go what what uh what's the name of your podcast you want to plug it for the 37 people that listen to us uh ask father josh podcast on itunes google play all that stuff and then uh the ask father josh show on ascension presents you're about to go from 1500 listeners to 1537 listeners (laughs) <laughs> okay, it was, it was, it was 15,000 but I mean no one no one's really counting oh you're oh, from 15,000 to 15,037 <laughs>
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh man. Well, thanks again, Father Josh. Uh, as we as we come to a close, we'd like to thank uh, Franciscan University for allowing us to record here in the studio. Bob Rice, Deacon Doctor Bob Rice, the one and the only, uh, and also Dan Bozak from Aardvark Productions, the man with the golden hands. So. Uh, if you want to learn more about Vagabond Missions and uh, how you can join us on this adventure, go to VagabondMissions.com. Till next season. Till next season. Next season. Next season, y'all. Peace. Peace. We out. Peace. <laughs>